Lord, we look towards the cross tonight. We look towards what you did. We look at what you have called us to as your church, what you have established here on earth until you come again. Father God, we look towards you. Lord, we ask for your spirit to come. We ask for you to speak to us. We ask for you to, to comfort us, to, to give us hope, to give us joy, and to give us peace. So, Father God, we ask for you to come and just meet us here tonight. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good evening. My name is John. For those that don't know me, this is Passion Week. Oftentimes we look at just the passion of Jesus, but we, don't, we sometimes forget that passion comes from suffering. That Passion Week is about suffering and that the word passion actually comes from that place of suffering. And so today as we look at the cross, the symbol of the church, we see that the cross is love and justice the love and justice of God coming together. The cross is a symbol of death. Its, pur- its purpose is for execution. It is humiliating and excruciating. When we look at the cross, the cross was set for criminals. It was there for the bodies and criminals to hang so that people could go by and mock and see and, and, and basically terrorize these criminals. It was the form of humiliation. This was a place of suffering that nobody needs to suffer. Yet Jesus, the Son of God, came and suffered this way. In the church, we don't like to talk about Jesus' death. We always tend to jump right into the resurrection because the death is too hard for us to talk about. It's right for us to look at the resurrection That's where the new covenant is completed. It's where the the covenant comes together. But there's no resurrection if there's no death. You see, death needs to happen in order for resurrection to take place. You can't have one without the other. Death is what Good Friday is about. So today as we look into the passages that we're going to look into, we're going to focus on the death of Jesus. This death is necessary. It is in this act that God shows that he is for us and not against us, that there is no more redeeming work that needs to be done to support the relationship that we have with God, that he ransomed his captives, that he laid down his life for his sheep, that he gave himself up for his bride and obtained the church with his blood. It is finished. It is paid. Here's the thing. If Jesus just died living a life like we, we lived, the ransom would be paid. But we would still not have access to the kingdom. Jesus needed to come to live a life. Or else Jesus could have just been born and been sacrificed at the age of five and the ransom would have been paid but that's not enough. Jesus needed to live a life, a life that was perfect. Why? Because God created us to be perfect, but because of sin, the sin that we have committed, the sin that we're born into, there's that separation from God. 
And so Jesus needed to live a life that was perfect so that the holiness of Jesus could be transferred over to us. That the ransom that is paid is more than just a sacrifice that needed to be made. That when Jesus lived his life here on earth, that perfect, holy, blameless life was so that we can live alongside it. As Rich started our service off in reading from Matthew 27, I'm going to continue. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to continue from verse 50. And it says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus is yielding up his spirit. He's at that place of death. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and the many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who, who were with him kept watch, keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. I'm going to focus my message on this area today in, this, in these passages. Three things happened when Jesus yielded up his spirit. First, the veil was torn. Second, the earth shook and rocks split. And third, the tombs were open. The first two things happened that, that happened symbolizes the purpose of Jesus Christ, both in the spiritual and physical. And the third thing that happened is a glimpse of what's to come. So first, the veil torn. The veil that's torn is the, the veil that's in the temple. If we, if we go back into the history of Israel in the temple, we know that there's the outer courts and then there's the inner courts. And within the inner courts, there's a place of holies where the priests do their, their rituals uh, before the Lord, do their sacrifices. And then there is a veil into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant sits. That veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the Holy Courts. This veil is not any veil. It's not some veil that's like a bride wears, some, something thin, something where it just kind of covers. It's not like a curtain. It's not like, it's not like the curtains we see up here. This veil is about 60 feet wide and 30 feet tall. Its thickness is the, is the thickness of a man's palm, so about four inches thick. This thing weighs so much that in order for them to put up, it takes over 300 men to carry this veil. This veil is thick. It's so thick and so strong that if you put horses on either side of the veil and they pull against each other, the veil cannot be torn. And so this veil, when Jesus died, this veil was torn from top to bottom. It's the significance of heaven coming to invade earth. When Jesus died, he was bringing heaven to earth. That's the purpose of the veil. What Jesus was doing is he's coming and he's breaking 
the religious order of how we used to do things, of how people used to go to God. You see, the thing in the Old Testament and in, under the Old Covenant is that they had to make sacrifices before the Lord in order to, to, to do their prayers, and every, everybody comes for a holy week. They have rituals that they have to do, and only the high priests get to enter into the Holy of Holies. All of these rituals are part of this religion that they were living under. As we went through the book of Matthew this year, we see how the Pharisees and the Sadducees work and how they live and how they, they fall under this religious way of living where the way that they do things become more important than God himself. And so when Jesus came and the veil tore, the veil, the veil being torn is to signify that no longer do we need to do these religious rituals in order to gain access to God? That what was once not accessible is now accessible. That we have complete freedom to come before God. That's what the veil being torn meant. The veil being torn is about Jesus coming in and paying the ultimate sacrifice that no other rituals need to be done. Did you know that when the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies, there was a ceremonial wash that they had to do? That it was from head to toe, they had to clean every aspect, and the other priests made sure that the high priest would do the proper thing because they don't want this priest to go in and die the second they enter into the Holy of Holies. It, got, it gets so extreme that they would, before the high priest goes behind that veil, they would tie a rope around his waist just in case he died, they could pull him out. When the veil tore, none of that needed to exist anymore. That we don't need to go through the, the religious rituals to gain access to God. We don't need to we don't need to go and do all these things in order to gain God's favor. That we don't need to prove ourselves that Jesus came. He's like, I paid the ultimate sacrifice. And therefore now you are restored because my holiness is now on you. Second, the earth shakes, the rocks split. The least we could say is that the death of Jesus has affected on more than just spiritual relationship. The death of Jesus affects the natural world. You see, the earth shakes and rocks split doesn't happen when somebody dies. It only happens because it is the son of God that died. Why does it happen? Because here's the thing, rocks don't have a mind of their own. The earth doesn't have a mind of their own but they do what God bids them to do. And so when Jesus died, the foundation of the world was shaken. The earth shook, the rock split. When something shakes, it breaks apart. It's on its way to collapse. Its former use is coming to an end. Something else is coming to replace it. In other words, the death of Jesus means that the thing that we regard so firm and so sure on and that we feel is unshakable, even these things are not stable. That they are fragile and they are temporary. When we meet Jesus, our lives are shaken up and 
and what we once see as beautiful compared to what Christ has done for us is no longer beautiful. That what was once important in the light of the kingdom is no longer important and that our lives get shaken up, our foundations get stirred of what we used to build our lives on. And Jesus invades that world and he comes and gives us a new foundation. He gives us new solid ground. And the third thing, as I was preparing this message over this week, Rich and I actually sat down and talked about this. The tombs were open, and people came out of their graves. I wanted to skip over those verses, because I didn't know how I was going to preach about the walking dead. What is the significance? I started doing my research and my study on it, and theologians are split about what happened. This is the only gospel that writes about this. Out of the four gospels, nobody else mentions this, this incident. Historians don't actually talk about it. Historians that actually that follow and chronicle the, the, the life of Jesus, they don't even actually write about this. The only place that we find it is in Matthew. And it is so crazy for something like this to happen that theologians are saying that it has to be real because people can't come up with things like this. Let's read those two verses together. 53. 52. The tombs also were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. I believe that this actually happened after the resurrection because it does say after his resurrection. So it's not the three things didn't happen simultaneously. That it says after his resurrection. So Jesus is the first that resurrected and then this happened. That the tombs opened Bodies came out, bodies of the saints that went before come out into the holy city of Jerusalem and they appear to many. I believe that the symbolic side of this is really about the end times. It's about how Jesus says that I am gonna, I'm going to bring a new kingdom. It's, it's, he's ushering the end times into the present and to the idea of what happens in the end time is now happening in the present and has come true in Jesus. And that we have salvation in the present life, that what we live for in the future, for the resurrection life, because it talks about how we will have a resurrected life, that first resurrected life is going to be Jesus. So therefore, Jesus had to resurrect first before these people were, were raised from the dead. The other reason why I believe that it was after his resurrection is because if they resurrected before Jesus resurrected, there'll be a bunch of people walking around and you would know that Jesus would resurrect because it's like all, all these people already resurrected. They would have already spilled the secret, right? So it had to be after. But really what it's about and what it symbolizes is that when Jesus dies, it brings the kingdom of God to the present time. 
that the kingdom of God isn't something that happens after we die, that it isn't something that happens after Jesus comes back again, that the kingdom of heaven is now here, present on earth, and that's what this symbolizes. It brings heaven onto earth. That's why this happened. It was a foreshadow of what's to come. After 53, nothing else is mentioned after, about this. It doesn't tell you that these people continue living. It doesn't continue to tell you that these people die afterwards. It doesn't tell you anything, and there's a mystery behind it. And that mystery sometimes bothers me because I want to know what happened. <laughs> I want to know what happened. to the, Like, did these people come out in their regular bodies, or are they corpses walking after Jesus is resurrected and they come, are they, are they like gross? Are they made new? Are they, what is this about? And then how long do they live after? Do, do they die right away or do they continue living? Do they, do that means that they get to live two lives? None of that is answered. There's a mystery to it. And here's the thing, is that there is always a mystery to the gospel, and it is meant for that, that these unanswered questions and these mysteries lead us to Jesus, and that this mystery gives us a hunger to unravel our life with Jesus. We could sit here and debate about theology of this event, we could try to unravel it, I could tell you all these things, but I think Bonhoeffer says it better than I do. He says this, how we fail to understand when we think the task of theology is to solve the mystery of God, to drag it down to the flat, ordinary wisdom of human experience and wisdom. Its sole office is to preserve the miracle as a miracle, to comprehend, defend, and glorify God's mystery precisely as mystery. This is nothing else, therefore, is what the early church meant when never flagging zeal. It's dealt with the mystery of the Trinity and the person of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Jesus, Jesus isn't about theology. Jesus is here to take down the religious way of living. He's about life lived with God. Sometimes we get so caught up in trying to figure out theology that theology becomes our religion. That we get so bogged down by trying to exegize and pull out all the, our theological muscles that that becomes our religion because we forget to see Jesus. That Jesus isn't here to stir that up. Jesus is here to say, Live life with me. Live life with me. That discipleship with Jesus is not about academic learning. It is not about studying the books. It is an apprenticeship built to build skills in our faith. That's what discipleship is. That's what following Jesus is about. Religion says, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. But Jesus says, I don't condemn you, so go and sin no more. 
the ways that we think that we need to do things a certain way, Jesus says, it's not about that. That's not what I came to die for. Jesus says that I don't condemn you. That my death on the cross is for you. That no matter what you have done in your past, in your present, and your future, it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter anymore. Because my grace is sufficient. And that my grace has come. This also means for those that are against you that Jesus also died for those people. That's hard for us as Christians to take because sometimes we like to be judge and jury of those that have offended us, but we have to remember that Jesus died for them too. Jesus came and died for every single one of us in this room, whether you know him or not. That Jesus came and he shed his blood so that no sacrifices need to be made anymore. All Jesus calls us to do is to repent. We don't have to earn our salvation. Jesus earned it. Jesus calls us to repent. That is the very beginning of his ministry. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is not an emotion, it's a decision. We decide to repent. We choose to repent. To repent literally means just to turn towards God. That's it. Turn towards Jesus. So as we close off here today, as we look towards the cross and see what Jesus has done, we want to remember that Jesus came and paid the ultimate price for your salvation. That he is the only one that could save you. And there is no other thing or no other person that could save you. There is nothing that you can do the only thing you need to do is to come towards Jesus and receive your salvation. That's it. Let me pray. Father God, as we look towards the cross today, Lord, we ask for your spirit to come to move us, to touch us, to allow us to see the love that you have poured out through your son. Father God, we just ask that as we look towards the cross, Lord, that your grace come upon us to know that we are forgiven and that we could come to you holy and blameless. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>